Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, and Orvis Fly Fishing. This week, we are back in the low country with Charleston guide John Irwin, who runs both bay boat and skiff charters in his home waters of over 20 years. In this podcast, John and I discuss how he learned to stitch up fish while tracking cobia with the DNR, why he intentionally takes days off, a funny story about how a rod came back to him from the depths of the sea, and how skipping college and making a run for Montana led to a lifelong mindset of conservation. As I've talked with various guides and anglers in the Charleston area, everyone pointed me in John's direction, and I enjoyed getting to hear his story, which began as a kid who found some fly rods in his grandfather's basement, riding his bike to chase redfish, to one of the most respected captains in his water today. You're in for a good one. I hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's an old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? Out? So look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Hey, John, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to hanging out and talking about Charleston and how you structure your business and what you guys get into up there. But before we get into all of that, I'd love to hear about how you first got into guiding and where your love from the outdoors really began. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so uh, for for me, uh, like, uh, like a lot of us, I think it began at a pretty young age. I was... Um, involved uh heavily in scouts growing up um uh, my mom owned an outfitting business uh did hiking Mm. trips on the appalachian trail growing up um spent a lot of time uh fishing and um from from a young age and uh just really a lot of time outdoors uh doing everything from uh rock climbing and hiking and and camping uh just just about anything outside Hmm. And, and so your mom, she owned a, a outfitting business. What did that look like? So, yeah, she did hiking trips on the AT for, uh, for women. So, um, it was, um, you know, two week programs, things like that. And, uh, took, uh, took ladies hiking on the Appalachian trail. Yeah. That's, that's, that was something that really kind of stood out. I thought that was probably a very interesting thing to have as a kid growing up and what a great way to kind of fall in love with nature. Are there certain ways that you felt like that has influenced who you are today? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, kind of surrounding, uh, that, that part of, uh, what we did growing up, you know, I think, uh, like Knowles and Outward Bound were also like kind of huge, uh, parts of my sister and I and my mom, it was all something that, we participated in and uh yeah i think uh definitely a a huge influence you know yeah where did the the fishing piece come in for you so um you know fishing uh started for me um with bass um it started uh (laughs) my grandfather had some fly rods uh in the basement and i think that was kind of my first experience with a fly rod was on a golf course pond um with uh bass poppers and fiberglass rods um so that was where that kind of began but uh tons of just general uh spin fishing growing up uh we uh had a place at kiwa growing up and and spent uh you know summers uh here in the low country and um you know a, a lot of uh pond fishing there you know that the islands here and a lot of the low country has uh 
um, a lot of like saltwater locks and, you know, inshore ponds. So a lot of my time was spent on my bike riding around and catching redfish, mm-hmm. trout, alligators, um, all of the above. <laughs> alligators on the fly. What's your favorite fly for an alligator? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Most of those were on uh, mistakes on uh, spinner baits or something like that, yeah. trying to catch, uh, catch bass because there's plenty of awesome bass in those ponds too. Now, I know eventually um, you ended up kind of getting into freshwater guiding. Could you tell us about kind of how that happened and, and the conversation that happened after high school? Right, right. So um, I went to Montana um, in the summer of 93. I graduated from high school and uh, packed up the car, um, went straight out and kind of landed in the Big Sky area. And with every intention of uh, just spending a summer and uh, coming back and uh, going to college. But uh, like a lot of other people that arrived uh, during that time, uh, yeah, I had to have the conversation that I wasn't, I wasn't coming back. <laughs> and th- th- that's why I brought it up because uh, I thought maybe you could give some points on how to tell your parents that you're going to pursue being a fishing guide rather than going to college. What's the, what's the key there? There are really no uh, good points there. Um, I don't really have uh, any good insight on how to get that conversation going. But uh, like a lot of stuff, I, uh, you know, the way that my life was at that time, it was a real kind of fly by the seat of my pants, you know, um, a period um, and still a little bit today. But it's, uh, you know, um, it was still a lot of um, just general being outside and uh, love for the outdoors. I spent a ton of time in the river. Um, I spent a ton of time climbing rocks and uh, on uh, on a snowboard during those years. And uh, just uh, just all things that Montana had to offer, you know, it was kind of the, the ultimate playground for somebody like me that loved uh, all things outdoors, you know. Yeah. And uh, something I was kind of curious about was when you kind of think about those days or recently you and your family just went on a trip back there that I know was, was really special to you. What, what are some of the kind of fond things that come to mind when you go back to that place? Yeah, it's, um, man, it's, it's pretty, uh, I guess, um, you know, it, it still looks the same. It still smells the same. Uh, the fish uh, feel the same, you know, it's, it's just really good to, to get back and it's good to experience that, um, you know, with uh, my kids and uh, my wife, um, you know, I'm, I had kids a little bit later, I'm, I'm turning 46 uh, next weekend, I got a, I got a two-year-old son, so, you know, a ton of my adventuring by myself, I think, was done, um, you know, when I was when I was a little bit younger and, uh, a lot of my friends, uh, got married and had kids. And during that time, and (laughs) here I am starting that cycle later in life, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all that adventuring and everything that, uh, you know, I did then, um, it's really great to, to have done that and be able to share it, uh, with my family. And it's something that we really all love and, enjoy uh doing doing together you know we spend a tremendous amount of time uh fishing um still and uh you know we spend spend a little bit of time hiking but my wife you know i've definitely uh kind of created a monster there when it comes to fishing so uh (laughs) yeah it's uh you watch the kids uh we all fish together and do what we can and then kind of towards the end of the day um she gets an hour and a half and i get 45 minutes you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that sounds pretty, I mean, it sounds closer to, than many people probably. Yeah. You know, fair that's trade. A, yeah. Fair trade. Um, what, what do you miss the most about those early days of your life guiding in Montana? Well, you know, I, I like, we're, um, just saying when you have kids, uh, there's not much you really think about. Yeah. Uh, like I don't think about it. Like, I, I, I miss, I miss that, you know, it's, uh, you know, I have these uh, daydreams when I'm driving down uh, the canyon in Big Sky or over uh, fishing the Madison or we're, we were out on Hebgen Lake a bunch, you know. And, you know, I remember those days uh, when I was learning and I had great teachers there. And, 
you know, uh, people that really taught me how to fish, uh, mm. uh, during that time, you know, and, and, and just, uh, you know, it was, uh, more or less my college years, you know, that's, uh, that, you know, the, the memories of, uh, of that time, it was, it was an awesome time, but at the same time, I know you've got kids, you know, there's, uh, not much that, uh, that trumps that, you know? Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a huge blessing and, uh, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. So, <laughs> You know, now now that you're in the saltwater guide arena, um, what are some of the things that you felt like those early teachers, those early people that took you under the wing when you were just a college kid in Montana? What are some of the big principles that you still hold on to today? Um, I think, you know, the one thing that strikes me about uh, Montana that was uh, so different than anything I've experienced since I left was uh, – the level of conservation, um, in, in those areas, you know, nobody, anybody that, um, taught me how to fish, um, taught me how to cast and, and, and made me a better angler. Um, none of those guys ever thought about killing a fish, uh, keeping a fish. And the people who I did know that killing or or were to keep a fish would, would keep one fish for dinner. Uh, you know, that, that is, uh, um, one of the, the, the biggest things that, that I remember is just the, the conservation aspect of, mm-hmm. uh, of some of those, uh, some of those guys. I mean, it was just so second nature, um, you know, that, that mindset was just completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it, as kind of things progress, you know, I was, um, kind of lucky enough, I think, to be around when I, when I first started and had some, some good guidance on how to treat this like a business. Cause I think I could have, uh, probably gone a different route, uh, per, pretty easily. Um, you know, it's, it's a whole different animal in Montana. You can't just, uh, walk out on the river and throw your hands up and sell tell people you're a fishing guide and start taking people down the river uh, like like you can here it's basically you know here a six-pack license and uh, give the dnr your 150 bucks and you're up and rolling um mm-hmm. we're out there you know you have to be vetted and you know uh, endorsed by a shop so you know it's uh i think um on on some levels it's uh it's a little bit uh different uh ball field you know as far as uh the players go i think that uh you know, it's not just everybody. Yeah. And I definitely love in, in the rapid fire questions, I got a couple questions about the business side of things, but it's kind of interesting because a lot of people that I've interviewed have roots or had certain significant seasons in their life where they did something similar, like guide when they were young in a place like Montana. But for you, what, what drew you out of that and towards the saltwater? <laughs> So, you know, being around in this area growing up and my parents uh, were actually living at Kiowa um, at the time, which is a little island just uh, south of Charleston. Um, when, well, when I left uh, Montana, it was uh, it was a uh, we were on a ski mission uh, to New Zealand, um, a summertime uh, ski mission that uh, basically uh, got back here to the East Coast and <laughs> pretty much. Uh, uh, you know, we, we couldn't make enough, um, in the spring in, in that area. It was off season. Um, there wasn't a whole lot happening, you know, the snow's melting, the river's muddy. Um, so the idea was come back to the East coast, um, start working and finish saving up enough money to get to New Zealand, which, uh, never, <laughs> never quite flourished into the awesome idea that it was. And, uh, so I ended up here, uh, kind of, uh, broke and uh and wandering uh so to speak and uh it was a pretty uh um natural um and easy transition so i ended up you know here in charleston right uh, right about 2000 not a little little bit after yeah and a lot of the guys that i've hung out with in your area and just kind of heard people talk about you talk about how consistent you've been how much you how, how well you've loved your city and fishery and you've been there for is it 20 years, 21 years. Yeah. I've been, been here on, uh, James Island, like right about 20 years. And, um, yeah, I in, entering into my, you know, my 20th year, uh, my 20th year guiding. Well, in what ways have you seen 
fishing and the fishery around you change? And then I'd also love to hear in what ways you felt like you have changed as, as you have evolved. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's like it, it is everywhere. It's kind of the, the same, uh, the same song, uh, different place, uh, more people, uh, you know, maybe less fish. Um, we're, we're cramming more people into, to, to a small space and, uh, everybody's trying to, uh, get along and kind of find their way. Um, there's new guides all the time. And, uh, I always guess I try to remember I was a new guy. Um, one time in a couple of different places. So <laughs> you're always that guy, you know, um, you know, no matter how much uh, you, you don't like to think it, you did, you did start one day and there were some people that were there before you are. So <laughs> um, that's just the way it is. Um, the, um, you know, I think we have a lot of stuff in place here that's been helpful um, as far as keeping water quality and, um, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, and, and some other organizations that have that have been good for the good for the fishery um, and and companies that are here in Charleston that have been good for the fishery. Uh, Shimano moved uh, their marketing and distribution here to North Charleston. And, hmm. you know, that's a that's a good friend in the industry and uh, free fly and um, the Charleston Waterkeepers and, and, and a lot of these companies that support uh, conservation and the health of the fisheries that are that are right here in our backyard i think that's helpful um you know uh every day there's more people on the water and city is booming and uh more more people are moving here all the time you drive down highway 17 and it's the same story in florida i'm sure you pass by a boat dealership and there's a one pontoon boat and one john boat in the yard for sale uh mm -hmm. you know they're out they're out of boats <laughs> so it's been um you know there's there's a lot of folks out there and but i i do think um i do think we we support a, a pretty conservation minded uh fishery uh for the most part with everybody um on the water like they are i think uh we've all got to try to work together to um you know help release the fish and help uh help keep things healthy for our children yeah and as all of that has kind of changed around you and you've watched a lot of growth in your city in what ways do you as a guide feel like you have grown in not just being able to grow your business and number but also to be able to grow the quality of experience you give and in the quality of um i guess angler that you are yeah i think you're um always uh you know developing and always learning um you know it's funny as you see um I, you can tell when you're on the water and i see a guy that's been around for longer than i have uh 30 years and i see him out um fishing kind of in some old spots that might not be that great anymore and then you know you see the new guys on a day-to-day -day basis and uh and they're in the good spots and uh you know the whole thing just kind of evolving i think new guides coming in and some old guides uh retiring a little bit i've seen a few guys i like the whole bunch uh uh retire um i th i just um you know i think the the health of, the general health of the fishery is um is is pretty good though mm -hmm. do you, do you feel like the pressure in your area, as you have kind of been there for 20 years and there's new new guides, new anglers on the water, especially during this COVID season where you're right, a lot of boat manufacturers are having record years. I mean, they're actually can't keep up with the demand. Do you feel like that pressure has made you a better captain? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt. And I, I think I kind of um, expressed how healthy the fishery is but I think that there is no doubt um, that anybody would agree that there's less fish um, than there used to be um, in some areas I think that's much more noticeable than others um, I've been the kind of person that's I've always trailered a lot um, and always not afraid to drive an hour north or drive an hour south or you know the way I know the backyard is, you know, pretty, pretty good, you know, the boat ramp right down the street. So, um, I, I think it, it definitely, um, you know, it puts pressure on you to, um, 
you know, perform. And I think that, um, you know, just the general day in and day out, okay, I've got to, I've got to catch the fish, um, you know, is, uh, it's, I think it's a natural progression. I don't think that you, 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 you get your head around it or like, Oh God, it's getting, getting harder. I need Mm -hmm. to, you know, I think you just, uh, you just keep finding ways. Um, you know, people are going to figure out where your spots are. Um, there's not a lot of secret spots anymore. Mm Google is earth has changed that. I mean, mapping, things that you can look at. You don't have to drive up to the end of every single little creek to figure out that those fish are down at the end of the little creek. You know, mm-hmm. people are uh, taking advantage of a lot of technology now. And golly, uh, offshore fishing, um, some of the mapping technology is just like totally baffling. Um, you know, we're, we're uncovering things uh, all the time that, you know, a lot faster than we used to. It's kind mm-hmm. of a little bit alarming, I guess. Yeah. Do, do you feel like, um, do you feel like you have to, to work harder than when you first started? In some ways I would say yes, but then in a lot of ways I would say no. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm out there. Um, I'm out there every day. Um, and I've been feeling, I've been out there every day for a while. You know, um, I had a period, um, where I didn't, I didn't miss a day. Um, you know, it, it took a lot to, to get me off the water, but now with, with children and everything, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a five day a week, uh, guy, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm off, um, during the summer months, I'm definitely off on Saturdays and, and Sundays, but I think, uh, just being, being out there, um, to, to that degree, I think your, your, your fingers on the pulse, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak, I think you, sometimes um you know go off on I, I like to do some traveling i take groups uh places i i get back after being gone a week you know you're always a little mm-hmm. shaky shaky <laughs> come back day one and day two sometimes mm-hmm. i might even take a little bonus day after i get back from a trip just so i can go out there and sniff around a little bit but it's um you know it's uh the the amount of time spent um you know you always i never read the book but uh Malcolm Gladwell, you know, 10,000 hours or mm-hmm. to ma- to master something, you know, we're, we're always, uh, put, putting in more time and the, and the fish are moving. I think the, you know, the more you're in contact with the water, um, the more you love it. And I, I've got, uh, a couple buddies I love to fish with and my wife loves being out there. So we get time, uh, to be on the bow, you know, which, mm-hmm. um, I still love, uh, finding my way to the, to the front of the boat, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, now that you have kids, you've switched to guiding more like five days a week, ideally. And that was something I wanted to talk about because you and I had a previous conversation. This is probably a couple months ago where you had mentioned that. And I thought that that was really interesting. And for a lot of guides who are trying to figure out, you know, with kids and family and life, how, how do they make sure that they continue to stay in touch with what's happening, build their business, be great anglers, but at the same time, you know, make sure that they're having a, a life that's structured the way that they can look back and say, I'm, I'm happy with my decision. Could you tell us about how you got to that point and, and what your, your decision making was there? Yeah, I mean, and I still think it's pretty easy when that calendar's like sitting in front of me and I'm trying to find a good spot for a guy that I really want to take fishing. And it's like, man, there's only so many days and, and you're, and you want to, you want to get, um, keep people happy. And there's definitely people you want on that calendar. Um, I, I think in the end, you know, with, with the kids and especially kids that are my, my kids ages, they're two and five, um, you know, they have this, uh, call. I mean, you, you want to be with them, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can't deny that feeling of, uh, wanting, wanting to be with their kids. Um, I don't like it, uh, when that's at the end of the day and I'm like completely exhausted and hot and covered in salt and like washing the boat, you know, it's like, uh, I want that, that, that time, you know, they always come down and help me wash the boat or, um, you know, but I, I need that time with those guys. And, you know, honestly, uh, too, uh, just at, at a certain point there, I was, uh, you know, maybe a little bit bit burnout I wouldn't say I was like on the verge of like throwing in the towel or anything Mm -hmm. but you know you you have a 
you get tired, uh, stuff starts breaking, a sense of irritability, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. and I know some pretty salty guys, you know, I've met in this industry over the years, but you know, honestly, since I've kind of taken that approach and not working a couple of days a week, I am totally refreshed. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you you look you look forward to the end of, of a work week and um, spending time with your family, and then then uh, you feel great when you come around on Sunday night and you're ready to get out there and start kicking butt. Um, you know, again on Monday morning, just feel refreshed and renewed and and um, and hungry uh, to be out there. It just makes uh, I do a better job. My equipment stays working better. Uh, everything just seems to flow along a little bit better versus a period in my life where I was always worried about if the next trip was going to come in. Mm -hmm. So you just keep piling them in there and you keep piling them in there. And you, before you know it, you work like 37 days straight, 40 days straight, and you do a couple, two a days in there. I mean, it's just... Uh, <laughs> By the time you get uh, to the end of that, you got like 10 yards of Power Pro on one of your reels and, you know, got something tied on the end of that. And, you know, stuff's just kind of a kind of a mess at the end of one of those uh, those runs. So, you know, now everything's smooth and, you know, that those those couple of days off and the time with the kids, man, there's nothing like it. Yeah. And it, you hear this across the board in a lot of different industries, but people talk about the need for margin in your life so that you can step back and reflect and think about how to improve things and how to do things better and rest. And um, I, I enjoy reading different leadership books and I like reading biographies. And that's a common thread that you see is people who it's not just spending time, but it's spending intentional time and giving yourself time for reflection and coaching. And uh, Gladwell even talks about that piece with the 10,000 hours. Like it's not just going out and doing something, it's doing it the right way, assessing it. And, um, and obviously there's a ton of benefits too, with just being able to be in your, in your kid's life. And do you feel like there, that, that it's in help really helped you on the water? Do you feel like it makes you more aware or, or value it more? Absolutely. You know, as, um, like people tell you, you don't know until you know, you know, and then, <laughs> then it, then it happens. And, uh, Things that used to you thought matter don't matter, and uh, other things that you weren't sure about matter. I think a whole lot more. Um, you know, spending um, uh, that time and and spending time on the water with them, and uh, being able to share a really awesome day of fishing um, with those guys. You know, and uh, letting them uh, kick butt on the fish for an hour and a half, and when they're done with that, letting them throw sand in the water for an hour and a half or swim on the beach or just do whatever they want. You know, it's, it's no pressure. It's, um, mm -hmm. it's good, man. It's good. And, and I, I was once at a lunch with a, a guy who goes to church with me, who is an owner operator of some Chick-fil-A's and he once said something, and I don't know if he was quoting Truett Cathy or if he was, this is original to him, but he said something that kind of stuck with me and he goes, uh, if you're doing it right, you only need six days. You only need to be open six days. He's like, I don't need to be open seven days. If you're doing it right, you should be able to get it done in six. I think there's kind of in life, there's, you know, like you said, we sometimes push the limits, but you can build a great business off five days a week and still be at your kid's soccer game. And I'm sure that in the long run, for absolutely, you, you know, I'm sure in the long run, like your kids will appreciate that and look back at that and, and realize I've talked to a lot of guides who have been really honest about, the challenge and the struggle of, of missing, missing certain elements of their kids' lives. And, and I'm, you know, I think it's, a it's cool just to be able to sit down with you and talk about the, the way that, that you've structured that. Do you have any advice to young guides who are maybe they're maybe they're going every single day, seven days a week, nonstop? Well, I think there was that period, you know, you, you, you're going to have that time where you, you've got to build your business, you know, and that, uh, through that, that part, you know, you're probably got to dig in, um, you know, more. And I think my path looking back was a, was a good path, you know, the, uh, the, the hard go at it, you know, for a number of years. And then, uh, just the, the progression of things, I, I ended up, uh, you know, having kids a little bit later in life, but, uh, um, I would, I would, I would say, you know, uh, I, I really miss, um, you know, when I first started, um, when I wasn't booked, 
man, I had plenty of time to fun fish, you mm-hmm. know, and that was awesome <laughs> because that's when you found all the gold and, uh, you know, that's when you, you know, really crazy, uh, kick butt stuff happened, you know, when you're out fishing with your bros and, you know, just having a great time. Um, you know, and now it's like when I'm on the water, I'm generally working or I'm traveling and fishing and having fun. And then, you know, I'm spending, spending some time on the water with my wife and, and kids here and a couple buddies, but that part of it is not as extensive as, as it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, that's probably one thing I think that, that you miss out on. I mean, my advice, um, when you're first starting out, I mean, and most guys, if you, if you're guiding and you're taking people, um, fishing, you're very hungry for it, you know, and, um, you're probably spending, uh, every last, uh, waking minute and hour uh thinking about it and thinking about how how to do it better um because obviously um you don't learn anything from doing things right all the time you know so you probably have some days where you're like man that was tough mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i know i had them uh you know when you when you first start and 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 figuring things out but uh yeah um thank goodness it's not always all about the fish every single day you know got plenty of people you laugh and have a good have a good time with i think there's a a few different approaches out there you know um to it i've always uh felt like i've had a light-hearted approach to it and never um I, I tell people i'm like listen i'm not yelling at you i'm just really excited i just really want you to catch that fish <laughs> um you know i just had to like remind uh people of that sometimes you know but uh i think uh just that um you know, not knowing, uh, every single minute, every single, um, moment of it is not always all about the fish. I think it, at some points it's as much about fellowship and, um, enjoying being with, with people and, um, sharing those, um, those moments with folks, whether it's the first time they caught a fish or it's the, you know, one millionth fish they've caught, there's something special in every single one of those moments. Do you feel like you've always cherished that, like even when you began guiding in Montana, or do you feel like that's something that you've developed as you've gotten older and, and definitely something that I've always cherished that, that, uh, moment there where, um, whether it's like I've been sitting on the back corner of the boat, putting live shrimp on a cork for, um, two hours, sitting on a spot, wearing out the fish or, whether it's netting a fish that, um, in the Madison that was caught on a fly rod or, um, on a trip, uh, in Cuba fishing with, uh, a, a client there and, um, you know, having that, that, those moments of, uh, yeah, you know, I'm part of, uh, making this, this, this journey happen for this person, you know, and, and to share that moment, that's just always been probably, the most special moment about the the whole thing you know that's the that's the reward right there absolutely and um that kind of leads me into a little bit of some technical questions uh you're talking about netting fish i want to talk about netting fish <laughs> a little bit um i know that you like to I, I know you do the redfish scene in charleston but i also know that you like to go after amberjack and cobia and triple tail um out of those three species, what's your, your favorite to chase on the fly? So I um, built a ton of my business off of the cobia stuff um, in the Broad River and, um, you know, off the coast here in, in Charleston. Um, you know, the cobia is a great one. Uh, I think the triple tail is a close second. Um, the amberjack, you know, that's like you need to catch one or maybe two and you can you can pack it in, you know, I don't want to subject you to too much uh, torture, but, uh, if you've never seen anything like that before and you get to throw the popper out there on a 12 weight, you know, it's a pretty awesome, uh, you know, for, for folks it's, it's cool. But, uh, yeah, the, the cobia, um, a big, dumb, hungry fish that swims on the surface, um, that always (laughs) makes, uh, for pretty good, uh, for tossing the flies and, um, yeah, uh, and, and, and we do, uh, do pretty well with a triple tail here and he's a great, uh, great fly rod fish too. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell me more about when you target Cobia, give me some tips on, on how you try to kind of maximize your time and, and your approach there. 
Um, so a tremendous uh, amount of it or for early for me was done um, in the Broad River, um, which is a fishery that um, is now currently closed to keeping, um, you know, just uh, overfished basically. Uh, you know, it sh- it's showing signs of improvement, but uh, that was a, an, a very unique place where the fish um, are are inland of the beach. Uh, they're inside the river. They're even upwards of seven to eight miles up the river. Um, you get these slick, calm uh, tide, slack tide, the tide changing, um, you know, the wind uh, dying down during those times and you get you get the fish, uh, you know, uh, swimming on the surface in there, uh, poking their fin up, uh, pushing a little bit of water um you know you spend enough time driving up and down the river looking for them you can see them from a long way off if they come up and start moving um that that was a different fishery you know you, you can redfish on the bank and then you can pop out there and catch a cobia in the skiff mm-hmm. um so which that that was uh super cool and, and a little bit more of a i think just like uh from a fly fishing standpoint or even um you know, uh, um, a, a soft plastic uh, type uh, presentation. Um, those fish, you know, you kind of, you're seeing them out, you know, quarter mile, sometimes far out there and you're you're running in on them. You're on motor, you know, basically the whole time. Um, and you're kind of seeing that fish, setting the angler up on a, on a shot, you know, trying to put that fish, you know, going across you at 10 o'clock at, you know, 50 feet and lining that, lining that thing up for that person to cast to that fish and, um, making things happen. That, that was a really cool, um, thing. I, I, uh, I, I would stay, it's about, about an hour, 15 minute drive for me, but I would just, uh, I'd stay down there the whole season, um, mm-hmm. for, for a good number of years. And I, I kind of built, started with that, um my first guy that ever took me down there to do that was a guy named thomas maybank a great uh great guide there and and fisherman and he's uh he's back in that area not guiding anymore but uh that's kind of who i uh first enjoyed uh that that fishing with and then um here in our area i bought um a jones brothers i got like a 23 cape fisherman Mm-hmm. Um, and I use that, uh, you know, here at the near shore, it's a different approach. You know, a lot of times you, you pull in there and they kind of come up like puppy dogs, you know, to the back, <laughs> back of the boat, you know, it's, uh, some days you get that cool stuff, you know, you're pulling in there over the structure and they're up on the surface and, um, kind of cruising around and, um, you can kind of pull in there and set up some shots on them. Sometimes you're sitting there fishing and they're coming up on the boat, but, we got a lot of different uh, tactics and ways to get fly shots at them, you know, at that at that near shore. A little bit um, different than um, like around uh, North Carolina and Virginia, how they do it with the tower boats and uh, mm-hmm. on the pods of bait. We're fishing uh, really more over structure and uh, you know 40, 60, 80, and as it as it warms up, out 100 feet, maybe even a little bit more uh, water depth as it starts to warm up. Yeah, and my uh, family business has a Parker 23 Big Bay with a second station on it. So we kind of have that style of cobia fishing, too, uh, that's, that's really visual. Um, but I know that you did a, a, did a project with DNR on, on doing some cobia tracking. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So, um, started out as, um, you know, like a grant program and, um, a guy that I've worked with, uh, Matt Perkinson at the DNR. Um, I worked uh, with Matt at a, at a tackle shop many years ago. Um, and, uh, knew, knew Matt initially from there. Um, but he was the one who was, uh, running the tagging program there. And, um, yeah, we, uh, it was uh, small radio transmitters, like the size of a, you know, like a C battery, like a Duracell battery um, mm-hmm. that would basically uh, surgically implant um, in the fish. And uh, that was like uh, like a transceiver um, type deal. They would, you know, have to swim by um, one of those transceivers that was attached to a buoy or, um, you know, um, pinned uh, to a wreck or something like that. And that's how they would collect that data. And then we also did some some bigger tags, the really nice, um, 
radio tech, you know, they um, fully monitor uh, the fish every time the fish is, you know, near the surface and the, and the tag uh, automatically detaches from the fish after a certain amount of time. So a little bit more of that advanced uh, stuff. But yeah, I've learned uh, a little bit more about the fish's movements um, than I really understood um, initially. But that, that was a lot of fun uh, out there um, with those guys. Yeah. Was there anything that you learned that, that surprised you? Um, I learned, um, initially, uh, I never stitched up anything. I learned how to put stitches in a fish. Um, <laughs> the first day, uh, the one, uh, one guy that was supposed to be doing the stitches was seasick. So, uh, they had to cut, they had to call <laughs> he was me chummy. in. So, yeah. yeah, was, yeah he, he was on the yeah, chum. He was on a uh, chum duty. <laughs> yeah. He was working the side. So I, um, I got thrown on the, on the, on the stitches. So, uh, I did learn, <laughs> learn how to do that. Um, but uh, you know, the, the as far as the um, you know the, the movements of the fish, uh, that was um, one of the things I think when the, some of the data came back. You know, there's a, a tremendous amount of fish that are uh, going north and south, um, and then there's kind of a cutoff line uh, for those fish. Um, seems to be around Canaveral, and then there's a a lot of uh, fish that are east west. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of fish that are swimming out to like thousands of feet depths and uh, hanging out out there. And then they're kind of coming in when that water temperature is getting right for that, that spawning migration. Yeah. That's yeah. When, when you had shared that with me a while back, I thought that was really interesting that they were going to such deep water. I mean, did they, do they have any behaviors they associate with that? Um, it's probably um, thinking it's just kind of uh, two different populations of fish. Um, you know, the, like the fish in the broad river were genetically tied, um, to the river. Um, and that's where in lied the problem with, uh, the over harvesting of the fish, um, as contrary to what a lot of people thought that population of fish wasn't part of the other population of fish hmm. of cobia that's swimming up and down the East coast. They were genetically, um, specific uh, to that river, much like a salmon would return to the same river um, that he was spawned in. So you, so you got that, that one population of fish that's uh, returning to that, um, to that huh. one area and depleting that particular population. So then lied the challenge of, okay, so these same guys that are doing all the tagging, um, they are out there on the water um, with a giant tank in a boat while all these people are fishing and you know they want a big female um, they need a big fish they need to start spawning and 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 trying to stock um, restock these fish uh, into the river so I guess mm -hmm. we're kind of still waiting to see uh, what's going to happen with that but if you're going to stock a fish from that river it had to come out of that river Hmm. Um, so that was uh, a whole another challenge. You couldn't catch a cobia 50 miles offshore and bring it in and spawn it. And, you know, that, that it wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be a part of that same genetic population. Yeah. And we can't, I can't talk to you about cobia without asking about the rod overboard story. Could you, <laughs> could, could you share, uh, cause this is one of the more, more wild stories I've heard. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yes, yeah, so um, that was actually uh, this year, um, and uh, it was one of the first trips of the season. So I uh, got out there, um, had some spin guys, um, had a well full of menhaden, um, get out there, throw down the anchor. I'm the only boat. Um, I pitch one bait off the back. And I set it in the rod holder, and I'm baiting up another rod. And by the time I got the bait on the other rod, the first rod's doubled over. So I, I did what you should not do, uh, set the rod on the gunnel, and uh, hopped up, handed uh, the guy a rod, and uh, he starts fighting the fish. He brings the fish up, and 
everybody's caught cobia it's not totally uncommon the fish comes up there's like another fish with it and it's like okay <laughs> let's get uh grab like a, a white bucktail i hand it to the guy pitches it in front of the fish the fish like completely ignores the bucktail i was like where's that fish going and before you could say she you know the <laughs> the rod was like cartwheeling out of the side of the boat which is uh you know if you've ever laid a a live bait on a rod on a gunnel you're asking for it you know some somebody listening to this podcast i'm sure has lost a rod before in some kind of similar fashion but anyway the 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 rod goes over and i was like oh man this is like a free trip you know basically here (laughs) so kind of guys shake it off and uh, get back to work and another boat pulls up and it's about a quarter mile away and uh, starts fishing and um they catch a fish and uh, we're happy for them they land the fish we're like awesome this guy's caught a good fish and uh all of a sudden the guys with me goes man he's got a huge mess over there so i even had to get out the binoculars it was it was quite quite a distance and i was like oh my god it's yellow power pro and he's like pulling in all this yellow power pro and it took it a second to register and i was like i got on the radio and i was like hey yellow sea hunt um, what's on the other end of that fish? And he's like, Oh, I got a, got a rod over here. And I was like, yeah, yeah, man, that's my rod. So, um, he's like, I'll sell it to you for cheap. Um, anyway, he, uh, they, they returned the rod for me. I'm actually turning around and looking at it right now. It's a little salty and crusty. I got to send it back to the, uh, real repair guys at Shimano. See what they say about that one. <laughs> they might been, yeah that if one might them, get you frowned give them on the stories no nah, you give them the story they might they might yeah. have some, well you must have had some good karma going on there yeah i mean we're talking about a place where there's like i mean you lose a lot of fish like you can see the mass and, and i mean it's just junk everywhere yeah. um so uh for that rod with 350 yards of power pro um to find its way through all that stuff and like end up in that guy's boat oh it's pretty crazy Uh, yeah and yeah it's uh you know me and my buddy were once uh red fishing and we were we were pulling through this cove and uh he looked over and he saw a tilly hat and we were in we were probably we were like we were either seniors in high school or you know young in college at the time we didn't have we didn't have Tilly hat money, you know, fancy hat. Yes. Fancy. One. We just had ball caps. And, uh, yeah. so my buddy like goes over and he puts the, the Tilly hat on and, uh, and he looks in it and he's, he sees a number. It's like the, if it's lost, here's, here's the number or whatever. <laughs> so, so he puts the hat on, he takes a photo and he sends it to the guy with like no intent to give it back to the guy. He's just like going to joke around with him. Like, Hey man, thanks for the hat, you know? And, uh, and then he drove off and, uh, and, as he was driving off, we, we hit a wave and he had left a, a rod in, in the rod holder on the pulling platform and boom, he lost like a $200, you know, rod and combo. <laughs> and I was just Paid like, man, you know, yeah, there's karma, you know, the, the ocean, the ocean is a, is a fair judge there. So uh, uh, I'm, sure. I'm sure you have some secret juju or some sort of, uh, you know, ritual <laughs> or totem that you bring on the boat to have have luck like that but i'm sure that guy was just as surprised as you were right oh my god yeah yeah it um that was that was pretty wild yeah it made it made the paper (laughs) for sure yeah uh well if if it's okay with you i'd love to transition into uh some rapid fire questions i've got lined up yeah man awesome so I know that you like to arrange group travel and you've gone to a, a number of different places. If you had to make a pitch for why a guide or somebody just in general should participate in doing group trips and traveling around and fishing, what would that pitch be? Um, to, to another guide that's thinking about doing it. Is yeah, that what yeah. you're asking? Yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, it, it, it taps you into a part of your customer base that um, I, I think you might you might miss out on um, those guys that say, oh, yeah, man. Hey, if you ever, um, you know, uh, get me on the short list, you know, call me. Sometimes uh, those people can slip through the cracks and like the day to day thing. Um, if you start um, with these people that you're on the boat with, you know, you start you know, planning these trips and uh, conjuring up these ideas, you know, it gives you an opportunity to uh, make some money 
um, and travel uh, to a great place and uh, enjoy uh, the time there uh, with those customers of yours that are probably very valuable ones if they're traveling with you and going on a nice trip like that. So, um, you know, it's a, it's got a lot of uh, upside um, there, you know, um, sharing that time and, um, you know, getting, getting, your, getting yourself an opportunity to become uh, more versed, uh, different, different environments, uh, you know, uh, spending time um, on, on different water, you know, there's, there's no, no better way to learn um, than there is from being on boats with other guides in their native environment. You know, it's uh, whether it's here in the States or it's uh, somewhere uh, totally exotic, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot to learn and it's pretty amazing uh, what I've been able to pick up from, from that kind of travel. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, what's the, what's the angler pitch? So wh- why not just go somewhere that I, I want to fish and just kind of patch together a trip myself what's the selling point of doing like a group trip with a with a guide um you know the the typically um a lot of the times the the trips the first year you go it's always hard to sell it (laughs) you know but then after you've gone once and Mm -hmm. you've experienced it then you can really talk about it Mm -hmm. um and you know when you're out fishing on the boat with somebody in your local environment um, and you've had a great time somewhere. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty easy to convey that uh, just in, in 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 general conversation to somebody, and it's and it's very appealing. I think uh, you know the anglers are fishing with you for a reason, um, mm-hmm. and they they and they they trust you. They wanna they wanna go with you, and um, you know there's definitely um, the the anglers that that I want on the on those trips. You know over the years. Uh, I, I've got a pretty pretty good list of them, and I know uh, some of them don't mix, and and some of them do. You know, it's mm-hmm. always uh, seem to be able to, um, you know, hopefully put together the uh, the right the right groups. But from it's from like the a little angler, matchmaking, you know, it like, is a little you know. bit of uh, matchmaking uh, at, at times. But uh, and then it's a fire drill at times. We're we're going to the Bahamas. Uh, to going to Andros uh, next week, uh, lost a guy uh, last minute. You know, with everything going on, uh, the travel stuff is is sticky um, at best right now. And you know, getting everybody a COVID test at the last minute, um, and you know, it's uh, it's 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 tricky right now. But mm-hmm. man, gotta keep it going. You know, we've had this we've had this current trip on the books for a while. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, man, it's not going to go. So mm-hmm. I started like booking up a few days and I was like, all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I think we can make this happen. So wind it back, you know, finagle the schedule back to, to where it was. And we got, we got a group of six going, uh, over, uh, to the Coakley house and Andros like, uh, next week. Yeah. And you talked about just the, the relationship that you have with, with your clients and how there's a, there's a comfort to being able to also know that that trip's lined up by you and that you're kind of curating that and making sure that everything's in place and set up. Right. And one of the things that Jake had told me about you is he said, John is, is great at developing repeat customers and building relationships. What do you feel like is the most important thing when trying to develop those types of relationships? Um, you know, if you fish, uh, I mean, I've got a guy that's been with me since, since like day one, 20 years, uh, a guy named Larry Kohler. Um, Larry is like at least a two day a month guy, if not like maybe more, we've traveled together. Larry was in my wedding. (laughs) I mean, he's become like almost like a second dad, you know, as a guy that's like special relationship, you know? Um, and I, and I've, and I've got more like Larry, but I'm just using, um, Larry is an example. I mean, Larry and I have had a lot of great days on the water, but we've had a lot of crappy days too, you know, and it's, uh, I think that kind of gets back to the whole thing. It's not always all about the fish. Um, you know, we've traveled together and had crap days. We've traveled together and had great days. We fish with other gods, other places. Um, you know, the more you do it, the more you understand. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, getting, getting, um, getting the re- the repeat, uh, the business is, um, something that just, it's going to naturally happen. Mm. You know, if it's, uh, 
meant to be. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm happy to say when I get called by, or I don't really get called by them anymore because it says potential spam now, but, uh, you know, all the, <laughs> all the booking services that, uh, you know, or call you and I'm like, listen, you know, honestly, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to book anybody else. I'm, I'm, you know, where I want to be, got the same people, you know, I don't, I don't pick and choose, you know, if I got the days open, you, you come fishing with me, but, um, Hmm. you know, it's, um, yeah, those relationships and, you know, um, the conversations and everything that takes place beyond the fishing. I mean, of course the fishing is important, but, you know, beyond that, it's, the the, those relationships and, uh, and the fellowship. There's another guy, uh, Tom Daly, um, that travels with me a lot. And, uh, you know, Tom's, uh, he, he's fished for so long and he's, he's, a, he's been a great angler, but, uh, you know, Tom at this point, it's more about fellowship than it is about fishing. So mm. I think that's important too. So if I put you in a corner and I made you decide between flats fishing and running out of the bay boat, at this point in your life, what, what are you going to choose? Man, I'm flats fishing like all day. Um, and you, you have a Hell's Bay, right? Yeah, I've got a little pro and uh, it's pretty new. It's like uh, almost two years old. And nice. uh, I had a guide before that and uh, the, my guide was an O2. Um, so I got about 7,000 hours out of that guide uh, wow. before I uh, sold it to a good fishing buddy of mine. And he's still fishing out of it. Um, but the, the pro has been awesome. I, I spent the last three days with a guy. We started on Monday and we fished in literally just total downpour all day. Um, caught a bunch of fish on the fly. The next day, the weather was better. We caught half as many. And then today the weather was great. And we ended up landing like two fish. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, the weather got better. But like we went downhill, but the, the, the fish today, um, were like some of those ones that were like for us, a bigger fish, like 10, 12, 14 pound class fish, like sitting out on sand, like dark logs, you put it there and they were attacking it. Um, we definitely missed some fish today, but, uh, we caught, we caught, we caught less today. We, we got less to the boat. Um, but that those moments of, uh, you know, um, sight casting, you know, it is just hard to beat that. I, that's, mm. uh, hands down, you know, I like being on the back for that and I like being on the front for that. So, mm-hmm. um, either, either end of the boat for that is nothing, nothing better than that. So if I put you back in the corner again, a theoretical corner that I keep putting you in mm-hmm. and you had to choose between your Hell's Bay and your scout. What are you doing? Ah, well, the scout's in a work in progress, man. The Hell's Bay, man, she's like a little sewing machine. So right now, I'm definitely choosing the Hell's Bay. <laughs> T- tell us about the tell us about the scout project that you're working on. Oh yeah, so the the scout project, um, we finally get the old internet. I had a I I crashed my car in Montana, and I had very uh, limited resources, so I bought. Um, a 73 scout off a rancher in Belgrade for $900. Oh my Um, goodness. Wish I still had it. I paid 900 bucks for it. It totally ran great. I, I, I drove it the whole entire, uh, time I lived there was worried it wouldn't make the trip back to the East coast. So got rid of the scout. Um, and then here we are like later and I'm telling my wife, I was like, I need like a little like project you know, something more. Cause I have so much time on my hands. Anyway, <laughs> I need uh, something else to do. So we, we find this by this sight unseen 73 scout out of Memphis. And it arrives with like, um, 14 wires coming off the positive terminal, the battery. I mean, I know a lot about boats and like, uh, a little bit about cars and I'm like, that looks like a fire hazard. Um, so <laughs> Needless to say, she had a lot of like crazy stuff going on. Um, we get it running, um, and it runs well with the original motor, but, um, in the end, like right now, um, the 73 is getting a brand new LS Chevy motor, um, zero miles, new drivetrain. So Mm. I'm turning it into the daily driver. It's going to be the car, 
um, that I drive like every single day. I'm not going to trailer the boat to the boat ramp, but you know, um, in the end, we're going to get rid of the carburetor. We're going to, um, turn it into, um, a 20 mile, uh, 20 mile, um, gallon, um, good gas mileage, uh, go 80 miles an hour in the interstate truck. Nice. So, uh, that's, that's the end goal. Um, she's a 20 footer right now. She looks good from a little ways away. You know, she's got, she's got a little way to go, but we're, we're super excited. Something you can take the top off, put the kids in there, cruise down to the beach, do all that kind of fun stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, I'll make sure to put some, put some photos in the blog at captainscollective.com. So we're reliving the Montana days with through the scout <laughs> a little bit. It's full circle. It's yeah, full man. circle. Yes. Well, so I know that you take a lot of trips and you've been to a lot of different places. If I could only take one trip in my life to go fishing, just a, just a fully dedicated to fishing trip, where would you tell me to go? Well, you'd have to ask your freshwater, saltwater. Let's, well, let's just go ahead and do both. <laughs> okay. If I had to do one trip, the, the greatest trip that I've ever been on, and it's kind of funny because I've heard mixed reviews from other people, Cuba was hands down the greatest uh, saltwater fishing trip I've ever been on. Um, Good News River Lodge in Alaska um, was hands down the greatest freshwater fishing trip I've ever been on. Hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, Cuba was, um, the best group of people that could possibly come together for a trip like that. Um, the fishing, um, was hands down, like <laughs> the tarpon fishing was like nothing I'd ever, um, even dreamed like, uh, could be for real. And, uh, there was permit, there was bonefish, there was snook, there were snappers. Um, you know, you, you, you get the pitch um, for Cuba that it's uh, the Keys uh, 80 years ago with our modern technology and know-how and our ability to fish now um, versus, um, and, and that's what it, that's, I guess that's what it was like. Mm. Um, no pressure, um, tons of fish, and uh, yeah, I mean, fish that are, that are real, you put the fly there, <laughs> They're going to eat it, you know, um, 99% of the time, at least uh, when we were there. I, I know there's a lot of different locations around C Cuba. Um, Yellow Dog actually put that first trip uh, together for us. Um, Ian and, and Jim Klug at um, Yellow Dog. Uh, but as you, um, you know, you go around Cuba, you've got six different um, places. So that was... Uh, Isla Juventud, uh, where we went. And I would probably, um, put that at the, at the top of my list of, um, you know, just, uh, destinations for just awesome, awesome fishing. So you talked about when you travel around and you fish with local guides in their local water, you can learn a lot to you after 20 plus years of Charleston and, and even more years of guiding, what do you feel like makes a great guide? Um, I think, uh, you gotta have like a lot of, you know, by the end of the week, you, you gotta be buddies, you know, um, it's, uh, I, I know what I like, you know, when I, when, when, when somebody takes me fishing and I hire a guide, um, I, I know what I like for that experience to be like, and that's the experience that I try to provide um, to the people that I take fishing. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, um, I want, I want a guy that's like going to be fun and talk, uh, not talk too much, but nice conversation and, you know, something funny, um, you know, and, uh, and fishy. Um, so that's, uh, that's what I'm looking for and that's what I'm looking to provide. So here's, here's my last question. If you could go back to yourself when you first started guiding in Montana before you bought the scout and, uh, and basically robbed that farmer, <laughs> you got such a good deal. Um, but back in that early, those early years of guiding, if you could go back to yourself then and tell him one thing, what, what would you tell yourself? 
don't drink too much alcohol. Mm. <laughs> no, man. Uh, I, I would, um, golly, you know, it just seems, uh, it, it, in a funny way, it seems like, uh, like it was yesterday. Mm. Um, you know, the time has just gone by, uh, so fast. Um, I'll, you know, at, at that point in, 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 of time, I, I would just say, uh, you know, you just, uh, just to hang in there, you know, I, it was not an easy path for me, um, for, for a number of years, you know, until, uh, um, you know, it, it was, it was tough, tough sledding for me just as a, as a young guy, man, I, I, um, fly by the seat of my plants and, and didn't always play by the rules. And, you know, I had, I had to learn from that, um, for sure. But, um, I would tell myself, don't do it any other way than you did it. You know, mm. you have to make mistakes to learn. And, uh, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, uh, you know, along the way. And I think uh, I, w- I would definitely tell myself not to do it uh, any other way, you know. Mm. Well, hey, thanks so much for hanging out and giving us some time tonight. I've, I've really enjoyed our conversations leading up to this and, and really enjoyed this interview. So thanks so much. I really appreciate it, John. Yeah, Hunter. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Have a great day. See ya. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is The Captain's Collective. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.